Hi, this is Cliff with another picture-poems.com field notes report. As you can hear, we're underway. Thanks for tuning in. It's the 8th of February, about 10 o'clock in the morning, natural time. 2018, and we're in the South Wallawas, the wilderness, not quite the official wilderness, but just about, and at 1420 meters, we want to be precise, wait a second, got here. Let me stop a moment here. We've been here before. This is one of the many sacred groves here in this part of North America of uh, aspen trees. And it's a large grove. It's flat, now completely snow covered. There's about uh, 50 centimeters of snow here. Let's see, I'm walking on snow. You can hear those are snowshoes. That sound. Let me get a close-up here. Now, if you're a good alpinist, a good skier, snowshoer, you can tell a heck of a lot just by the sound of your shoes. Let me try over here. This is a different sound. Well, if you have good ears for that sort of thing and are trained, you'll hear that I'm sinking through the crust. So every step is a good bit of work. And of course, on this field note, let me stop a second. Make sure I don't have the levels too high. That, uh, yeah, this is a one-man show. So I'm looking at the um, Aspen Grove. That is not just the most common tree in North America, but some would say, including myself, perhaps the most beautiful. Populus tremoloides, trembling leaves of the poplar aspen tree. It's a close cousin of the balsam cottonwood. They're growing right next door. In fact, I can see a stand right from where I'm standing. But the aspen goes slightly higher. We're at 14, 20, as I said, and it tops out in round numbers. Like Aristotle used to say, don't try to be too precise. <laughs> at about 2,000 meters. So that's about uh, three to six degrees of climate 
higher than where we're at here. So it goes through a whole climatological bandwidth. And it goes lower than this. It probably gets a little bit too dry for it. It wants to have wet feet, especially in spring, with spring snowmelt. And gee, I wasn't going to talk so much about aspen, but I'm looking at it here, so I can't resist. Um, there's a beautiful phrase, and I think it's the 14th book of the Bhagavad Gita, about each leaf a hymn. Krishna was talking, I think, about the inverted tree with its roots in the air. Well, every leaf a miracle, that's Walt Whitman. Every leaf a prayer. Well, the, the form of the aspen leaf is an absolute miracle. And the reason why it's called trembling, and again, don't let your knowledge be secondhand. You should get here and see it firsthand. In the interest of bringing people together, I'm actually sending out coordinates. But uh, the movement in the sound that it makes of its leaves is an absolute miracle. If you've been in the high, high country, above uh, 2,400 meters here, and the Alps much lower, but where you only have, uh, I'm standing right next to a white fir, so I have to speak in hushed tones, conifer trees, <laughs> which are marvelously adapted to snow, winter, and cold. So they keep their needles. Oh, there's some squirrels who are getting active. Uh, they're listening to brother and sister squirrel. That uh, uh, So you don't hear the sounds of leaves rustling in the wind, like the oak leaves of back east, the great white oaks. And so all of a sudden you'll be coming down and you'll hear a sound. Where is that coming from? And ah, uh, yes, you have forgotten. It's like a good poem you know by heart and the joy of forgetting it and then remembering it again. So you remember the sound of rustling leaves. I know I have places where I stop just to listen to that sound as I'm coming down into lower country. Isn't that something, the gift of a tree? That's the great um, late Wangarai Matai, the gift of a tree. Well, these trees, brothers and sisters, are in big trouble. And they're reflecting our sound right now as we speak, and they're saying, Brother Cliff, slow down. Uh, they think that we people people are the ones that are in big trouble. They'll sort out this hotter, drier climate of climate crisis in due course. 
but whether we people people <laughs> will uh, remains the question of our time. Ah, you hear that? That's a flicker. Well, that uh, um, these trees are in big trouble. And it's happening on our watch. So we're in our field notes bearing witness to their suffering. And that suffering is caused by us. Think of that. So what could possibly right livelihood and right action mean if we don't have a sense of uh, the suffering of creatura, the wider circle around us. But these trees, the aspens, let me walk over here. See, this is mushy snow. <clears throat> I'm beginning to think that uh, winter alpinism is an endangered species too. If you're on skis and are not down and out by now, you're, you're on very dangerous snow. It's way too wet. We're probably five, six degrees Celsius above climate average, not the one degree of the lowlands. So just like the Arctic is experiencing a warming two to four times more than in the southern latitudes here at altitude, is almost exactly the same pattern of difference. There's much more war warming the higher you go, remarkably, and the effects become more and more uh, self-evident. But these trees are all sick. And of course, aspen come, emerge out of a common root. Think of that. So I always say in an aspen grove, there are three generations of trees. The matriarchs, they're right in front of me, only 10 meters away. They're about 20, 25 meters tall. Oh, about uh, 25 centimeters in diameter. And now, of course, free of their hymns, their miracles, their prayers, their leaves, heart-shaped, with a long petiole, a ruby red. It's a unique form. Where does that come from, that unique form? Hmm. Well, it's now completely windstill. We're on the south side of the jet stream. So, like the great teacher and climatologist Paul Beckwith says, uh, if you're on the north side of the jet stream, it's like you left the fridge door open. And here we left on the south side the sauna door open. And baby, these trees, they know it. Because how much hotter, drier can you take? They like to have their feet wet in spring. So that means deep snowpack. Well, the snow I'm standing on and walking through here with effort. 
What you want is uh, Cliff's golden rule of winter mountaineering is in the spring, whenever that begins, who knows. But when you get a consolidated snowpack of 20, 30 repeated freeze thaws, and then the crust forms spring snow, corn snow, although I don't like that expression, but it's frozen on the surface. So the deeper the freeze, you measure it in groups of 10 centimeters. 10 centimeters, well, you can get by. 20 meters is good, good, good. And 30 centimeters is pure bliss. So you know that when you go out to uh, do your morning duty and are digging, now that's a pit. When you study the snow, don't call it a pit. It's a profile. It's like reading a sacred book. But when you're digging your morning uh, pit outhouse, you dig down and then you're reading your snow. And if you got 30, you can almost, uh, well, I was going to say, no, don't drive on top of it. Don't snow machine on top of it. But you can ski on top of that snow reliably until at least, even on a southern exposure, you can quote me, depending on the altitude, of course, even on a southern exposure until 10, almost 11 o'clock in the morning. And then it'll start to get a little bit mushy, and by noon it'll become a snow cone. So the trees, the aspen, the three generations, so you have middle age, and then you have the children coming up, the saplings all from one root, which is one organism of unknown age. It's been here for hundreds and hundreds of years, we assume. In some places, they're considered the oldest living organism. And now they're suffering, so they're all showing symptoms of death and decline, being attacked by poplar bore, so you'll see, I call them bullet hone hole exits. Of all the beetles, I was actually here and witnessed it on the 14th of April, boring out in synchrony, that means at the same time, in the middle of the night. And so you wake up, and like right now, we're, <laughs> we're not getting sidetracked. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, this is a poet's meander. <laughs> we're not getting sidetracked. So you're out to fetch your morning water. That's what we're doing right now. We're fetching some water. And you say, good God, look at all these exit holes. And I slept right through it. And on hundreds of trees, large and small, were the matriarchs in the Middle Age, not the saplings. They all left at the same time. Now, as a conductor, a musician, you begin to ponder, what was 
What on earth was their cue? How did they know to leave all at once? I mean, because they are in separate trees. It's a beautiful mystery. Somebody could do a monograph on it. But they're suffering. So out of those exit holes comes a black, pitchy sap. I call them aspen tears. And they run down the entire length of the, what shall we call it, aspen, greenish-white bark. It's very sad. And eventually the entire cambium will be girdled, the outer water-bearing part, nutrient-bearing part of the uh, bark. And that will, with certainty, kill the tree. So in this grove, about one-third of the trees are already dead. And that's happening on our watch. All groves in the Wallawas, this is a big area. I try to circumambulate it once or twice a year. Still want to do it in winter, but I can't do it unless the snow is good. But that area is one-sixth the size of the Alps of Switzerland. So it's big. And they're all in radical decline. So, hotter, drier climate. So we can think of what is right action when you have the failure of good governance in the world. It's not just a failure of democracy. Good governance denying that we're, the ship is sinking. That's why I admire Paul Beckwith as a scientist, that he's so open, honest, and direct, and passionate about, hey, this is all hands on deck, and we're not doing anything. And it's not just a denial of science. It's a blocking of science, because they know damn well what they're doing. And it's almost entirely hydrocarbon man. So now we're, you can hear that we're walking on ice through here. Now, I, let me see. When, when the temperature's this high, you're going to get a lot more water coming down. And even at this altitude, normally there's no open water. But the snowpack is about one-third of climate average. Now I gotta be careful here because I don't want my microphone to fall in the water. Let's see if we can get up closer and you can hear it. So this stream is about one-third open. Now I have my trusty water bag here. Now, life is so much more wonderful if you're not just living from snow melt. <laughs> it saves about, you use less than half the amount of fuel. 
my hydrocarbon man in melting water. If anybody uses a BioLite, um, one of those nifty little wood stoves that generates with the difference between temperature a 5 volt charge current, let me know. I've used two of them or seen them in operation, but in the winter I'm a little bit reluctant to invest in one. But I would test one if you have one, send it. Um, so we're right here at the water. Let me get down. I don't want to quite do a Wim Hof and fall into icy water right now with the recorder. Let me turn the mic around. So it's about a meter and a half across, and it's got about a meter of snow all the way around it. Now, there's nothing more beautiful than living with this water. So, it's a real privilege to be here. There are natural sounds all around. And notice we could not possibly be interrupted by hydrocarbon man, all the noise, the cars, not even snow machines now because uh, we could do a whole field notes on that. You know, brother and sister snow machiner. <laughs> I'm laughing because uh, where I'm at, I have many friends who are totally and fanatically perhaps uh, devoted to snow machines. And so we want to keep the dialogue alive. But it is possible to question the whole thing with snow machining. But climate crisis is going to do them in. Because uh, this higher snow line means they have to, what they call, put in. It's like you put in your boat into the sea. Well, they put in their machine pulled on a $50,000 truck, a $10,000, $20,000 machine. Probably both of them not paid for. Um, and then put it in the snow. They call that put in. Well, you have to go progressively higher and higher and higher now. Well, for me, that's um, no problem. I just pull my sled and take off my ski, pull the sled over gravel until I hit the snow, and then I feel relief because I know they're not going to be here. Who would want to hear the roar of machine cover up this water? Well, um, I always do a little prayer, a little poem, when I come here, you can't hear it probably, but there are flickers all around and they're drumming. That's that magnificent uh, black with a, wet, a white uh, throat and a royal uh, red magnificent uh, crested crown. And it's a large, powerful bird. They're right around my camp, so they're drumming, and you probably can't hear it, but uh, 
but to know you can't be interrupted, that's a magnificent thing. It gives such a peace and tranquility. Well, I always do this little prayer to honor the real Francis. I refuse to use that name, Saint. Uh, the real Francis that uh, Laudatio Si in Italian, the first Italian poem, they say, where he praises brother and sister creation. Sister moon, brother sun. So the whole of Creatura is a circle. Isn't that magnificent? And we're all equals in that circle. That's a democracy. That's dialogue. That's government. Think of how just changing our geometry from that, oh, that um, image on the back of a dollar bill, the demonic eye atop the pyramid of control. That's what we now have. And changing that to the beautiful simplicity of a circle. Well, that's Francis. So I always say, praise be to you, my Lord, for Sister Water, for she is humble and pure and gives life to all. Yet there's nothing in return. Praise be to you, my Lord, for Sister Water. Okay, that's it for now. I just wanted to share that. So this is Cliff signing off for the picture-poems.com. Check out that uh, water show, 1,300 photos. We do it as a slide talk, so you can always bring in Cliff to do his uh, show and dance. It's at picture-poems.com slash water. Ciao for now. As a little footnote to this field notes report, this is the sound of breaking trail. Now what I'm doing here, this is how you learn what climate crisis is like for the heavy animals like uh, um, deer and elk. Uh, that it can be up here at this altitude. You see, this kind of snow is deadly because they can't stay on top. The wolves and uh, coyotes so easily stay on top, but they're going to be sinking through. So you sink through. That's the sound of sinking through. And I'm only going down five or six centimeters, but the crust is catching my snowshoe as I pull it out. So I'm breaking trail here that I want to be able to use after 
the snow freezes again, I hope tomorrow, to get to another um, um, bathing patch of the stream where I can jump in and do a little bit of uh, happy uh, Wim Hof uh, skinny dipping. Um, let's see here. So this is what it sounds like. Now I'm not, I'm just going about 10 centimeters a step. So it, you're going to be going about 0.5 kilometers an hour. That's why you can get stuck in the high country, especially now with climate crisis, on skis or snowshoes. You just can't go anywhere. Now that'll give a man or a woman, I always say, a little bit of healthy respect for Mother Nature. Okay, so I'm on my way. <laughs> a shout out to Vim Okay, thanks for listening, Joe, for now. Here's a little footnote teaser number two. It's quite remarkable that as I travel the land very slowly on foot, on bike, on ski, and snowshoe, I meet countless of young people and very few actually perform living music anymore. Very few. And uh, so this is a little teaser. It's a, a new uh, Star Cycle piece. So that's from the cs-music.com. It hasn't been published yet, so I'm working on it up here. But this is a what you call a Star Cycle piece. Um, so... They're written for the very best of the best of the best, and hopefully young, energetic, uh, creative, ready-to-roar, young uh, virtuosi. That means very good. <laughs> um, that are just ready to do something challenging. And so my job as a uh, composer, I don't want to use that word sound designer, where did that come from? Um, as a composer is to bring um, living sound and rhythm and uh, uh, people together in new and exciting ways, a kind of dialogue. And this first movement, it's for two drum kits or sets we're not trying to be jazzy. <laughs> um, it's the um, that uh, life begins with the dance of two in a way. So it's the relationship of the duo that is one of the themes, uh, the rhythmical themes of the piece. So on the left hand, if you're listening with headphones, left hand is... Uh, uh, drummer one, he or she doesn't have a name yet, and on the right hand is drummer two, also not yet with a name. But the uh, first piece it runs about uh, three minutes, and it'd be mighty difficult, <laughs> no doubt about it. Um, uh, is um, 
honors the great philosopher in, I might note, you see, back in those days, there was a modicum of culture in the world. In Austria, in the German-speaking part of the world, the great Karl Popper, um, I don't want to go into that now, um, but he wanted to be a composer and actually did write music, and uh, uh, to his great horror, the uh, main composer around him in Vienna, the Vienna of his day was Arnold Schoenberg, so I think <laughs> he got a little bit too much of that, and was probably right that uh, Schoenberg wasn't the way to go. Um, but he did become one of the world's great uh, philosophers, and it's an essay I hope I'm quoting it correctly, of clouds and clocks. But I think you get the idea. It's a regular movement, as steady as a clock. And around it, uh, marvelous, I think, uh, intertwined, broke, uh, Mandelbrot, uh, fractal, uh, rhythmic uh, spirals that and you can kind of uh, imagine it's difficult to do two alone at the same time, let alone as a duo.